You're listening to the Young Baptist Podcast, a show that exists to call believers to committed faithfulness to God's Word, to equip Christians by answering the tough questions that need to be asked, and to challenge churches on everything that distracts us from the beauty and glory of Christ. Now, here's your hosts, Clay Maynard and Josh Johnson. Thank you for listening to the Young Baptist Podcast. We strive to bring biblical, meaningful, and practical content to the table each and every episode, and we greatly appreciate you tuning in today. I'm Josh Johnson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Clay Maynard. What's up, Clay? How's it going, Josh? Dude, it's great. It's good night tonight. I'm having a great day because today we just launched a giveaway for our brand new t-shirt. If you guys haven't seen this, go on our social media or on our website. We now have a store. Swag. (laughs) We have swag. We have a merchandise (laughs) store. So go check us out. I mean, by the time you're listening to this, this giveaway will have been weeks ago. Mm -hmm. But uh, we're really excited about it. It's a really cool shirt. You get it multiple colors and sizes. It says the gospel changes everything on the front. It's got our uh, the Young Baptist podcast on the back. Uh, We're really excited about that. That's really cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, it's our honor tonight to have Pastor Kurt Skelly from Fredericksburg, Virginia with us tonight. Kurt, thank you for joining us. Hey, guys, I have really been looking forward to our conversation. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for taking the time out of your schedule to to be a part of our show. If you wouldn't mind, could you take a moment to introduce yourself to our listeners who may not be familiar with you and your ministry? Sure, sure. Yeah. So um, I'm the pastor, as you mentioned a moment ago, of a Faith Baptist Church in Fredericksburg, which is located about one hour south of Washington, D.C. It was an established church when I came a little bit over four years ago, and the Lord's just doing some some really wonderful things, and we're honored to be here. For 20 years, I pastored in western Pennsylvania in Pittsburgh Steelers country. Now, the good news Mm. is while I was in Pittsburgh, they never converted me. I remain a Dallas Cowboys fan, as do all Uh as do all dedicated Christians. Um, Oh no! (laughs) Before that, I was in Connecticut for five years. We started a church. I worked in a a Christian school. Uh, I call that the period of my ministry where I was going through the second half of the tribulation period. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, Christian education. That's not for the. uh, That's not for the faint of heart. No, it's not. No, it's not. But honestly, in all honesty, you know, I look back at that and the Lord used that season in my life in such a great way. So I am grateful and I have friends of a lifetime that I worked with uh, back those years ago. Now, Kurt, we uh, we appreciate your ministry, but there's something that I remember from my past, a couple of things that I'd like to to bring up here that we probably need to take care of on the front end of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first being that I think you're a big Dunkin' Donuts advocate, if I remember correctly. And I've been I've been yeah, praying but, for you for many years that the Lord would deliver you from that. But mm-hmm, is that true? Mm-hmm. Can we can we verify that tonight on the podcast? Yeah. Well, I don't know that I would use a passive word like advocate. I think I would use <laughs> a, a a more dynamic word like raving fan or or something along those lines. Yeah, it is true. Now, uh, I just want to say to our listening audience right now, uh, I'm able to see uh, Clay and um, and Josh. And uh, is this a, is this an audio? Is this a video uh, podcast as well? Just audio. 
Okay, I didn't think that. I've, uh, the, the two episodes I've heard have been audio. So, so, so what I'm saying to our audience members is you cannot see the guys that I can see. And Josh, the one that just so um, just insulted me, insulted my taste. <laughs> he has gray hair. Listen to me. He has gray hair and then he has like a brown beard. I mean, that gives a total new definition to two-faced. And then he's going <laughs> to lecture me on my coffee choices. Folks, listen, <laughs> it is Dunkin' Donuts all the way. Oh, man. See, I appreciate this, uh, Kurt, because it was just a, an episode ago that he was harassing me about Dunkin'. And he, really? uh, we were talking about, yeah, we were talking about theological triage, you know, the Gavin Ortland book. And he's convinced this is a first tier issue that we need to have long doctrinal discussions about it because really in his is. mind, you can only drink this specialty coffee this pour over that had to have been apparently ground by by angel babies <laughs> 5 minutes ago right okay. right <laughs> yeah the Pharis phariseeism is alive and well in the 21st century and it 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 manifests itself in the coffee choices of Josh oh man well come on as martin luther said here i stand i can do no other <laughs> No, I am a Dunkin' Donuts fan, though, so guilty as charged. My second question for you, though, much less serious, much less serious. Back in, like, 2004, 2005, I heard you preach at a youth conference. And uh, I was telling Clay about it today. I can see it in my mind's eye. Like, I remember it vividly. Uh, but I remember you'd come off the stage, and I think your mic fell off your tie or something. And you, when you clipped it back on... I guess you noticed like one of your, the buttons on your shirt had become unbuttoned and you made a joke in passing, I assume it was a joke. And you said that you leave that button unbuttoned for ventilation. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like 14 years old, super impressionable teenager. Fast forward. I'm 17. I had just surrendered to preach. I was getting my first opportunity to preach and I just put the microphone on and all of a sudden I remembered Kurt Skelly said he leaves one of the buttons on his shirt unbuttoned for ventilation. If I'm lying, I'm dying. I did that for like three years every time I got oh to preach. My. So I need to settle it. That was definitely a joke on your part, I'm guessing. It, it was a joke in the moment, but I am so pleased to hear that I've had a profound influence on your preaching. <laughs> absolutely. <career>. Absolutely. <laughs> All the things you could have taken away. I'm glad I didn't away. say something more outlandish, man. Yep. I, I don't know <laughs> that's why. That's awesome. That, that stuck with me. And even to, the, the, to this day, I'll put a lapel on and I'll think about it. Kurt Skelly, he left that button unbuttoned for ventilation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so funny. The wow. funniest part is Thanks that for sharing that. But uh, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but that was that was an on the spot excuse for I didn't butt my shirt. <laughs> yeah. The funniest part is that he told me this afternoon when he told me the story, he said, the craziest thing is I never really noticed it working. <laughs> yeah, I, it never worked. So I stopped doing it. So, but it took him three years of doing it to, to be like, you know, I don't think this is actually a real oh, thing. Oh, man. Josh, you've got issues, man. You've got issues. You got that right. You got that right. That is funny. Tonight, we want to talk with you, Kurt, about the differences between autonomy and isolation. If you haven't listened already to our listeners, we just covered this in depth, went through definitions, uh, discussed some of the pitfalls of, of the autonomy of the local church, because we're going through the Baptist distinctives. 
Um, and the Young Baptist Podcast, if nothing else, our goal is to take Bible doctrine, important Bible doctrine, and make it a conversation for everyday Christians. Mm-hmm. We want, you know, we both grew up Baptist. Uh, we know we're Baptist. And as we got older, we started to find out why we were Baptist. But there's a lot of conversations around how that plays itself out in everyday life that, you know, as young people in ministry, and I think really everybody in ministry, it's beneficial to go over these things and to kind of explore, you know, how it works itself out. So give me, give me your working definition for autonomy. Uh, the way we defined it just very simply would be self-governing is that a church would be self-governing congregational government, congregational government. And when you, uh, when you have defined autonomy as congregational self-governing, which, by the way, I, I entirely agree with that definition, uh, have, you, have you yet explored with your audience the difference between autonomy and isolation in, in any way? We briefly touched on it in the previous episode, uh, just discussing that isolation, that we, we've made the statement isolation is, or autonomy is not isolation. Right. And, and even briefly, Josh, I believe, talked about Acts 15 as a good example of where the fact that they were autonomous local churches did not prevent them from seeking help, seeking association with brothers in Christ right. when moments of, of big questions uh, arose or when help was needed. Yeah, right. And I would agree with that. Um, and that's, that, was stated, that was stated well. Uh, you know, a moment like the clarification of the gospel in Acts 15 would be a wonderful example of a church is coming together to, because uh, honestly, you want to speak with a unified voice. They wanted to understand, you know, how, how does this, how does this fit with these Gentile believers that are now coming into this one body? So I think that's a great example. I think another great example of churches cooperating, uh, but not, but not um, negating their, their individual autonomy is the offering that the Apostle Paul collected for the poor saints at Jerusalem. And to me, I think that's the, the, the best extended Bible example of how autonomy and isolation work. Or, or, or in this case, we're saying that, that it, I think it's wrong for a church to be an island unto itself. Um, a church is a body. It's a, it's a body of believers. So if, if I'm as a physical human body, if I just live for myself, then I'm a selfish person. When churches as a body live for themselves and never seek to bless other churches or cooperate with other churches or unify in efforts for the gospel, then that's a selfish church. So the Apostle Paul obviously had made some frequent trips to Jerusalem. He had a, a certain love and passion for the Jewish people. And so when he discovered the poor saints at Jerusalem were in such dire straits, you know, he took it upon himself. I think he was God-led, obviously, to go back to churches, mostly Gentile churches, predominantly Gentile churches, uh, in all the major region, regions to which he had gone before. So, for instance, Galatia, uh, Asia Minor, uh, Macedonia, Achaia, and the churches that were therein, the Apostle Paul thought it necessary not only to visit these churches, but also to write to them and to encourage them to get involved in a cooperative project. 
And that cooperative project would be the project described in 1 Corinthians 16, where they would lay by them in store. They would have this money collected. Uh, they would take up the, the, the money. It would be properly vetted. They would have people that would travel with the Apostle Paul to make sure that there was proper accounting and accountability. So what a, what a wonderful example of churches together meeting a need that no church individually could have met. That's great. I loved yeah, the, that's good. I loved the uh, the comparison to an individual body just because an, an individual body has autonomy does not sure. mean that it is not meant to be part of a community. Yeah, and think about it this way, Clay. So an individual body, you know, you can assess your individual health. You go to the doctor, you, you take your blood pressure, you know, are you healthy? Are you eating right? But what is the purpose of a healthy body? So a, 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 when my body is healthy, I don't need other bodies to help me. I don't mm. need somebody helping me up the stairs. I don't need somebody you know, helping me carry things. If I'm strong and healthy, I can, I can care for myself. But that, that strength and health has a purpose. And the purpose of strength and health is that my body then could help other bodies. Yes. So what did Paul say in Ephesians 4? He said, when the, when the body is healthy, then the members of that body supply every need. So when a church is healthy, we don't need outside help. But that doesn't mean that we are not in that healthy state, not supposed to help and bless others. Wow, that's good. Why do you think it is that we usually, maybe not usually, but there are, there are moments when we just default to that being an island unto ourselves as a church? Especially um, when we can so easily see needs all around us in different places. I think, I think some of it is what we already touched on, and that is just selfishness. Sometimes we're selfish and we only see legitimate needs as being needs that would have an immediate perceptible benefit to me. So I'm going to build the, the, the new building on my property, or we're going to buy a new van for our ministry, or we're going to... And I understand we have to make investments in our own bodies, investments in our own ministries. But I think one of the reasons that we do that to the exclusion of helping others is just because we're selfish. I think another reason sometimes that we celebrate autonomy to the point of isolationism is because uh, we fear. We, we fear what we fear cooperation because in cooperating with others, it, it, it almost puts us on a, a place where we're not as in control. You know, there's mm -hmm. other churches and other pastors, and, and we, we love to be human beings. Carnality loves to be in control. So sometimes I think we, we're isolationists because we can control it. It's like mm. why people don't want people to come to their house. It's why people want to live by themselves because I know where all my stuff is and I, I don't want you to mess it up, right? So I think fear and selfishness are two prime reasons. Mm. Yeah, the, I, I guess it sounds from what you're saying, it reminds me of uh, somebody in a church, in a local body who doesn't give. It's the same reasoning. It's that I don't trust the church to handle my resources properly. I'm not, ultimately, I don't trust God to give this offering to him and allow him to hold individuals accountable and to hold collective bodies accountable. Similarly, a church can do the same thing. And, and instead of tr giving gr generously and trusting God um, to see to the stewardship of those things as a part of the body of Christ, we're like you said, 
too controlling and, mm-hmm. and wanting to just hoard the resources that we've, you know, to the degree God's blessed us above what we need. We just tend to hoard it because we think, well, how could I trust anybody else to do as good of a job as I would do with it? And it really comes down to not trusting God mm-hmm. um, that he will see to, uh, to his will being done with it. No, that's a great point, Clay. And I would say this, were, were it not for the mutual help of the New Testament churches, the, the symbiosis that existed in the first century, we wouldn't even be here. So right. I think mm. about things as simple as Paul goes to Thessalonica, uh, the chief city of Macedonia. He really has the desire to see you know, gospel roots uh, begin to develop in that city. But he doesn't want to charge these new Christians. He doesn't want to you know, teach on giving right away. So how did the Apostle Paul pay his bills? How did he buy his food, pay his rent? Well, the church at Philippi sent once and again unto his necessity. So he was there for just a short period of time. So were it not for a mature church like Philippi understanding the Apostle Paul's heart in ministry in Thessalonica, that church would not have had the start that she had. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that's all throughout the New Testament, the, the, the symbiotic uh, attitude that churches had toward each other really was they saw the bigger they saw the bigger cause and these churches were dissimilar you know the, the church at corinth was a gifted church that that struggled in areas like uh the abuse of spiritual gifts uh and you know the church at philippi was a, a more poor church uh, that uh, was more mature in a number of different areas but the fact that they struggled in different areas and maybe had a different look because they were in a different place did not preclude them from working with each other. Yeah, that's interesting too because it points to not only not only does it mean not only is does it not threaten autonomy for you to work with other churches, it doesn't threaten your autonomy to work with other churches and other Christians who aren't exactly like you in every way. And it really sure. encourages encourages us to broaden our horizons to not like you're saying, to not exclude people on, on, you know, unwarranted basis, but realize that the need out there is great and where the gospel is going forward and where God's work is being done, we should find ways to be generous across as many lines as we can, you know, to help, to help other believers who, like you said, may or may not do things exactly or look exactly like we do. It's a great template because the emphasis in each one of those churches was the gospel and sound doctrine. And the Apostle Paul emphasized that to Corinth. He emphasized that to Thessalonica, to Philippi, to Ephesus. You name the city, he emphasized it. And so we, we need to find our commonality around the unchanging things and not, and not constantly looking for the reasons why, why we're different or yeah. why we, we could potentially separate. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. You were talking about that symbiosis between those churches, um, you know, and we in our previous episode, we were talking about congregational authority. You know, to be clear, we're obvious like that Jesus is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. But when we talk about, um, when we talk about congregational leadership, we're talking about the human element the, where we find the human authority, uh, which we know from scripture, you know, Christ, the, the apostle Paul and in other passages, it points to that body of believers uh, assembled uh, as having the spirit of Christ within them, uh, the spirit of God and the, and the, and the word. Um, knowing that, that that human authority comes from within, 
there's other passages in, in the New Testament um, where it talks about, like, for example, in 1 Timothy 3, when it talks about pastors uh, and, le- and elders being blameless and of being of good report uh, with people that are without, um, would you say that that indicates a human accountability outside the church or, or at least to some degree, let's call it a, a testimony responsibility to those without the church? And to what degree does a church need to realize they have a, a responsibility to people even though their spiritual authority comes from within, they do owe something to the community at large. And, and then if, if you don't mind, if I could belabor this just a moment, what responsibility do, does, churches, does a church have to weigh in on those kinds of things? Because that's a really difficult balance, I feel like, to strike. Yeah, that's a really insightful question. And I don't think it's one that we consider nearly as much as we should. So the short answer is both. You know, to whom is uh, a pastor accountable as far as his testimony? Well, obviously he's he's accountable to his church family, and I don't know that anybody would disagree with that. But he's also accountable to the community at large for a testimony. Now. He doesn't answer to the community for his doctrinal stance. They right. might not even understand that doctrine. But there is a certain level of, of, of morality that even the unsaved world understands, like pay your bills. Right. Like don't be crazy angry about every little thing. Like uh, don't work embezzle. hard. <laughs> don't, don't embezzle um, millions of dollars. <laughs> Yeah, don't embezzle millions of dollars. You know, <laughs> don't uh, don't have a uh, a relation. Uh, don't have a, a reputation of being a womanizer. I mean, even though the world might have lower standards when it comes to you know sexual liberties, they still understand that these are these are tenets uh, of the faith that they hold us to. So uh, a pastor needs to be blameless in all of these areas. You know, he needs to have a reputation that is, he's not sinless. We, we know the difference between the words, but he ought to be blameless. And then I think you even mentioned ahead of the podcast to me in your email about the, the part in 1 Timothy 3, where it says he must have a good report of them that are without. And we would understand that to be those that are not in the church, those that are in the community that are interacting with this man in a life way, but not in a church way. He needs to have a good reputation with them as well. And there are great Bible examples of that, guys. I mean, there are super Bible examples of, for instance, the Apostle Paul. Uh, he, When he was unjustly arrested in Jerusalem, and then they changed the venue of the trial to Caesarea, and he appeared before you know, Felix and then Festus, yeah, the, these guys don't care about religion. These guys don't care about doctrine. Uh, that doesn't matter to them. They, can, they couldn't argue themselves out of a doctrinal paper bag, but they understand justice and they understand uh, and they see right through the, the religious shenanigans and they see Paul as an upstanding man who's a faithful Roman citizen and honestly, Paul's reputation moving forward with those men was a matter of his testimony to unsaved men. Well, and I'm afraid that 
sometimes we get so, well, I'm, I'm standing for the faith once delivered. We get so firm and, and stirred up about that and, and we, we can convince ourselves it doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks. And it ends up injuring how we can minister in our communities because they see us as, well, that's the church that, man, they're just like, they're hardcore. There's, there's no, there's no accountability in the community. There's not that, that apostle Paul kind of illustration, like you just mentioned, because like you said, the lost world, they don't, they don't really want to discuss all of these, these different things with us because they're the natural man has no desire for the things of God. When Paul was at Corinth, the, the Jews got just incensed by the fact that gospel was taking root and good things were happening, that they kind of trumped up charges against him after 18 months and hauled him in before the, the deputy of the entire county, or the, the entire region, Achaia, a guy by the name of Gallio. And it's very interesting what Gallio said, because Gallio said, you know, I, I see right through this thing. This is a religious argument I'm not going to get involved in. And he said specifically, if this were a matter of wrong or if this were a matter of lewdness, you know, then then I would deal with it. But so what's the implication? The implication is that Paul had a stellar testimony, even with a secular leader in his city in regard to his behavior. That's so important for us to consider. So, yes, wholeheartedly, I agree with, with what you just said, Josh. Yeah, it's the distinction between persecution for for doctrine or for the gospel or for our faith and being unwilling to hear concerns from even a lost world mm-hmm. about legitimate failings of the church to maintain a good testimony. There's a big difference between those two things. Because we're by no means saying don't contend for the faith. That's kind of a given based upon the positions that we have and the leadership we, we are in. But we have to take into account those that are without as we're going forward in our ministries. Well, it's it's easy to get to that point. It's easy to dismiss somebody's criticism as, oh, because there's Mm -hmm. already such an adversarial relationship between the ways of the world and the ways of Christ. There's already such a tension between what the world is after and what the gospel proclaims. It's easy to decide that every time there's pushback or every time there's criticism, well, that's just because they don't understand. That's just because Mm -hmm. uh, they reject the truth. Well, it might be, and if it is, that's a matter of that's, there's certainly some discernment there that needs to go on. But, but being honest enough to realize when there's real things we need to contend with as well, and allowing the lost world, you know, there's you know sometimes the the children of darkness are wiser than the children of light. They see something sometimes, and it's important for us not to be dismissive of that. You know, if we're going to dismiss it, let's do it after. Let's give it some real thought and prayer yeah. and consideration and decide for sure that we know, hey, this is something that's an uncompromising truth and not just dismiss it. Oh, they're just against us. Oh, they just hate us because we're Christians. Well, let, maybe that's true, but man, let's make sure before, because like you you were talking about, man, it starts to build this wall between you and the people you're trying to reach where they just see in their mind, just out and out hypocrisy and an unwillingness maybe on our part in some cases to, to persuade, to explain, you know, and, and so obviously that's a huge difference. I, I don't know if you want to ch- weigh in there, but I do have one more question on that. Go ahead. Yeah. So, I mean, hundred percent, hundred percent, everything you're saying, I think sometimes people erroneously think that contending 
means that we necessarily have to have a hateful attitude and a condescending spirit and nothing could be farther from the truth. And then even when we do contend, I think many times we're not contending for the faith once delivered. We're not really contending for Bible doctrine. It's been my experience that contentions oftentimes are over the word you used a moment ago, tertiary issues. Um, of which Dunkin' Donuts is not. That is a, a first-year <laughs> issue. But but be that as you know that that's an aside. But 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 then I would I would say this too to something you said, Josh, and that is you know people that get up and spit and scream and say you know bless God you know I don't care what anybody thinks. Well, to me, just that statement is somebody telling on himself. So I don't care what anyone thinks, and I have to say that loudly to you because I really care that you know that I think that, you know? So it's it, it I love the verse in 2 Timothy 2 where the Bible says, the servant of the Lord, you know, Clay, that's you, Josh, that, that's you, that's me. The servant of the Lord must not strive, okay? That, that, but he, he ought to be gentle unto all men apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledge of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. The, the point is, you know, it's not our job to attitudinally change people. It's our job to be confident in the truth that we know, speak it in love, and let God do with that truth what only he can do. Amen. Kurt, if I could be a little selfish here, maybe some of our listeners will benefit from this as well. Maybe we'll cut it. I don't know. But one of the challenges that I've really faced in this particular area is as a guy who believes very deeply as a Baptist, even I'm Baptistic in belief. I, I believe in congregational authority. I believe in accountability to your local church. And yet we live in a time where there's so much scandal and there's so much criticism of established institutions. And the more information that's disseminated because of the age of technology, the more information there is available, it seems like more and more of it is legitimate. More and more of the world's criticism, more and more of of accusations, many of them false, but many of them not false. What responsibility does a church have, do leaders have, church leaders do do even congregations have to speak clearly on, on let's say the Christian, the church body as a whole, not necessarily our congregation, but to speak on where we stand on very important issues and to address some of the concerns that the world is seeing because at the risk of just looking like hypocrites who hide in silence when it's, you know, we've, we've been very loud, let's say, when it's been, when it was Hollywood, or when it was Washington, D.C., would we be quiet now when it's somebody who bears the same label as we do? What responsibility does a church have in that area, and, and how does one strike that balance? Yeah, I think the responsibility, it's a great question. I think the responsibility is twofold. I think, number one, the church has an internal responsibility to deal with sin. That's a First Corinthians 5 issue mm-hmm. where the Apostle Paul was incredulous that this church had not dealt with this sexual sin in, in their body. 
and were actually celebrating the fact that they had this radical grace and they were going to just let this guy do his thing. And, you know, Paul specifically said, and what, what, you, what you've done is you've just trashed the testimony of Christ to an onlooking world. So there's an internal responsibility. And I would say to every church leader who's listening to this podcast right now is let's redouble our commitment to dealing with the issues in our own church. So I, I would say that that that's first. Secondly, as we view the church as a body, so as an individual unit, that I think churches have a, a responsibility to hold other churches accountable of like faith and practice. Uh, so I read uh, something, and I appreciate I appreciate what you said a moment ago about being Baptist. I'm Baptist, you know. I I don't. Uh, that's not the first adjective I used to describe myself, but but it's one. Amen. I agree um, with that. And and um, you know, I read a tweet today from Albert Moeller, and of course, the Southern Baptist you know convention. And, I, and I'm not Southern Baptist, but there's some some really good guys there, and some some good mm-hmm. solid churches. And uh, in his tweet, he talked about the the disfellowship of two churches because they they harbored sexual predators and were unwilling to deal with them so here's a situation where and i'm not i'm not so sure if i agree with your know, convention making this choice and that's not the point the point is the other churches were willing to call out another church for the benefit of the testimony of christ and when and how to do that, I don't know that I could answer that question definitively. I think sure. that's where individual soul liberty comes in. Yeah, maybe but a case-by-case case discernment thing there. That's it, yeah. And and Peter did say that judgment must begin at the house of God. Right. And mm. so unless we're willing to look inward first and to say grace over our own mess, then any condemnation of sin in society just becomes hollow. Yeah, man, I, I really appreciate that. That's because I, that's something that I can only say I've personally, I've personally struggled with because I, I, you know, the age of information has exploded this. We can cut all this out. I'm just babbling now, but <laughs> no, I, I, I wouldn't cut it out. I, I, I wouldn't cut it out because I think it's an important, I think it's important for people to, to hear this. Um, there's nothing that we're saying that, you know, I have some guys that are considerably right of me and their you know, applications and their preferences. And I love them very dearly. And I have many friends that, that have applications and preferences that would be to the left of me. You know, I'm really concerned about their, their love for Jesus, their commitment to the gospel and their desire to faithfully preach God's word. Um, but I, I don't know of any one of my friends, either to the right of me or the left of me that would disagree with the fact that we need to behold ourselves accountable. And then as, as units, church units, we need to be willing to hold each other accountable. So Mm. I, you know, and if that offends somebody, then they just got to be offended because that's, we we need that message. Yeah. we're, We're all a part of the vine and that pruning is a part of that process and that discipline is a part of that process. Mm-hmm. And I, I really appreciate what you've said. I know that, you know, maybe in a, in a renewed way, this generation has to face this because of technology. I think it was probably true not so long ago that, you know, you might be a small church in a small town and not hear anything about 
what's going on outside of your little area or within maybe a few little churches that you were aware of or preachers you knew. But man, in this day and age, it's it's you're being almost called on regularly to to weigh in or to speak or to or to and so having that discernment, like you said, looking inward first, you know, trusting what the word of God teaches on, hey, we first Corinthians is in the Bible for a reason. We need to be reading it because we're more and more ministering in Corinth <laughs> mm-hmm. as time goes on. And, and so those things, that's something churches have to be really fresh on, really, really believing God's word on and trusting God and, and asking for discernment. And to your point, being willing to hear brothers and sisters like a Paul, you know, I mean, I know he was the apostle in this case, but, but somebody who would be willing to speak to you in love and say, you have to do something different here and being willing. We're not, I'm not so isolationist, right? The, ultimately the human authorities within the church to do something about it but being willing to hear people as they, as they express those concerns. Yeah. And the danger of course, is you don't want to be like the Baptist national inquirer and you're just looking for <laughs> you know, yes. scam and you're looking for every misstep that everybody ever makes. And that's, that's kind of the nature of your ministry. You don't want to do that. And you want to be careful too, that you don't answer a matter before you hear it. So sometimes what I'll say to our church is this, Hey, church family, um, boy, there's been some disappointing news. Like, for instance, I'll talk about, because it's public, you know, Ravi, this Ravi Zacharias thing, mm-hmm. uh, which really gave Christianity a black eye. Now, did Ravi Zacharias say some great things in his lifetime? Sure he did. You know, the truth is the truth, uh, whether, you know, a polished preacher says it or Balaam's donkey says it. The truth is the truth. Right, right. yeah. Um, but. I think it's important that we as a larger Christian community, you know, publicly say, hey, we repudiate that kind of behavior. And that is not consistent with the body of truth that Ravi claimed to believe. And so I, and I think what that does is it, it settles Christians that are in the church that are have question marks about their own, like, man, is anybody, is any, does anybody, um, is anybody real anymore? Because there, there, there's that, but then it also sends a message to, uh, you guys started the podcast with this. It sends a message to your outline community. Oh, that, that church is telling on itself because they do lump us all in the same mm-hmm, uh, right. basket. So no, I, I agree. It's such a great practice too, in light of something like that. Back to your point about looking within revelations like Ravi Zacharias or some other thing like that, where the world is watching, where all of these churches are now wrestling with what they believe, what they thought and looking, but the, but the first step being, Hey, what can we do better in this area? You know, how can we, be more holy? How can we be more in tune with scripture? Um, and how can we do a better job to hold our brothers and sisters, help hold each one, each other accountable in discipleship? No, that's good. And, and I think two things to keep in mind too, anytime you quote unquote, call out a ministry or call out a pastor. I mean, the apostle Paul did that. Hey, Demas forsook me. You know, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. Uh, hey, Timothy, be aware of Phygelus and Harmogenes, you know, Alexander and Hymenaeus. He spoke about people that had 
deviated doctrinally and people that had done him dirty, so to speak. But Paul was also very careful to include in those condemnations, hey, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So even in the calling out and even in sometimes the 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 necessary confrontation, our heart should be, man, we want everyone to be remediated. You know, this church that's going through scandal or this pastor that fell, listen, we, we don't justify it. And if it happened in our ranks or anyone else's ranks, sin is sin. But what is our heart? Our heart shouldn't be to one up somebody or to mm. you know, just spread scandal. Our heart ought to be, man, we want them to get right. We want a David restoration. We want a church to, uh, to rebuild. We want the gospel to go forward. That's the only response that the gospel can truly bring about. Not just to disc, because I think we're quick to discard because of terrible things. Cancel culture. Cancel culture. Mm. Just discard it. But the gospel is all about just like justice and restitution. And I, I think sometimes we're going to, especially our generation, we got to be super careful going forward because we'll just default to, oh, well, that person fell, cancel them. Yep. They, yeah, it's like Carrie Schmidt said on his episode. Obviously, there's consequences for decisions you make, but there still needs to be that gospel restoration and restitution made. Yeah. Gospel culture is antithetical to cancel culture. Yeah. You yeah, know, that's a good statement. It robs it possible. robs the church of the of the of their role in calling for repentance, seeking justice, and then pursuing restoration through the gospel of Christ. Because if you look at the gospel, the gospel does not just gloss over consequences. Uh, the cross is clearly evidence of that. Yep. But the gospel, the cross was what it was bringing about that restoration of God and man because of the sin that was present. Right. The understanding of consequences ought to make us appreciate grace more. Yeah. Yep. So I like the way that you said that for sure. Yeah. And you, you were talking about Paul even addressing his, you know, the people that he was trying to point out and, and, and doing so. And in, in those saying, I remember in one place, doesn't he say the Lord will reward him according to, in other words, at the end of the day, it's not, my job's not to go tear down his life and, and destroy him. At the end of the day, I'm I'm pointing out the distinction, but I leave you know I leave this in the hands of God. Yeah, it's it's a it's a wonderful example of communication between churches because here's Paul in Rome, so obviously centered at that point out of the Church of Rome. Here's Timothy in Ephesus. Paul's writing his last letter, and he says, "Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works." But then he said this. Of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. So what a great template for us. So what did he do? He said, Timothy, uh, uh, this guy did me wrong, uh, and it hurt. And I just want to give you a heads up. Okay, he's coming your way. Mm. So God's going to take care of it. God's in control. I know that he'll have his consequences, but I just want to tell you as another pastor in another place that when this guy comes your way, he could split your church. So just, you know, watch out. That's a great example of communication between churches. That's mm -hmm. wonderful. Yeah. yeah. If I could just uh, plug something here for a moment, if you just as a great, just some more conversation about somewhat similar, a somewhat similar topic. You did a three-part series with 
Carrie Schmidt on leading in the gospel on, on how the gospel um, impacts bad ministry experiences. Um, if you haven't listened to that, I highly recommend that. I was, it was really informative for me to hear uh, that conversation just because we're talking about here, are these bad examples of, of ministry experiences. We're sinners. Things go wrong. <laughs> People can be horrible to each other. They can do horrible things. And then just, just hearing uh, that conversation on Carrie Schmidt's podcast, um, which is called leading for the gospel. He does a three part series on that. I was really helped by that. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't heard that, um, that's a little bit more on that topic. Yeah. Now, I appreciate that. One thing I really appreciate about you two guys, uh, and we don't know each other well, I hope we'll get to know each other better, but one thing I really love about you guys is you've endeavored to make your podcast a forward-looking podcast. Um, I think it's dangerous when we ministry becomes driving by the rearview mirror mm-hmm. because the only time people look in a rearview mirror for extended periods of time is when they're driving backwards and we don't want to drive backwards in life <laughs> right? or when they're putting on makeup. <laughs> and so we don't want to do. So to me, it's like, look out the windshield. It's not to say that mm. we never check our rear view mirror and consider things in the past. It's not to say that we never look at our side view mirror. I think those are good balance checks in our life, but don't spend your life looking in the rear view mirror at how people have hurt you look through the windshield about how the gospel can help you. Mm. And that mm. to me is a much healthier gospel perspective. Amen to that. That's good. Well, shifting gears a little bit, maybe a little more practical question. What's a healthy biblical approach for churches to cooperate and learn from each other without compromising their integrity and allowing those external influences to dominate the church? I feel like we've kind of kind of got into this a little bit, but maybe we could expound upon it some more. Like what are some, some practical ways that that could play itself out? I, I think it, I think there's a couple different ways to look at that. Number one, churches in your own community. So in your own community, there are shared concerns. For instance, you might have homelessness in your community that, this Lutheran church is concerned about, this Methodist church is concerned about, this church down the road is concerned about, you know, I'm not going to have problems, you know, building a a shelter together with some other people that are helping the homeless people in my community. So I think there's one relationship we can have with, with a locality that, that maybe we wouldn't have um, nationwide. So Mm -hmm. I, and, and, and I'll say it this way too, you know, I preach out at different places here and there, and I would preach for somebody that I would be more loose in in the people I would associate with to help them than I would about people that what I would bring in to 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 my church. Okay, so think about it as as if as you guys are you guys both dads? I am not yet. Okay, so so Clay. Think about it from the standpoint of your family. You know, the, you, the, there are p- families you'll go out and help. You know, you'll go to their house and you'll counsel with them or you bring them groceries that you wouldn't bring into your home because there's a level of concern about safety and that kind of thing. Well, right. I think it's the same way with like, I'll go to churches and preach. And I'll go anywhere that people let me preach the Bible. 
Mm-hmm. I don't care. I, I want to go and, and help people. And by the way, Jesus did that. You know, Jesus yeah. went at the invitation of Simon the Pharisee to a Pharisee's home. Uh, and I'm sure he was misunderstood, but he also went to Matthew's feast and he was misunderstood by John's disciples. So he didn't really care what people thought. He was just going to go try to be a blessing where he had an open door for the word of God. So I, I don't know if that, maybe that's a little bit of a rabbit trail, but, that's uh, good. but yeah, I that's think good. that you know, within our lo- local communities, I think there could be a little bit more leeway with the associations we have. Mm-hmm. But I think as we go countrywide, it becomes a little bit more of a like faith and practice situation. Sure. A little bit of a brother, a neighbor that is near, <laughs> kind of a, than a brother far off kind of situation there. It, it, it is disturbing to me, guys, um, how sectarian we've become. And that, that's not even, listen, that's not even the history of fundamentalism, which, which is so crazy to me that people that you know, thump fundamentalism the loudest, they're not even being true to their own history. Right. Yeah. Um, fundamentalism was interdenominational. It was interdenominational. At its I mean, origin, the, yeah. The Jerry Falwell Super Conference. I mean, you'd have a disparate crowd. I mean, you, you'd have, you know, John R. Rice, a, you know, ASV. You would have Bob Jones, you know, the interdenominationalism. You would have Jack Hiles all the way at that end of the spectrum. You, I mean, and they all got along. I think that much of what happened to divide fundamentalism had nothing to do with doctrine. It had everything to do with personality and market share. And then what, 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 what fundamentalists have to do is once they, once they're losing market share or, or their personality is not at the top of the heap. Now I've got to come up with a doctrinal justification as to why you got to stay here with me i'm taking this stand yeah so you invent the doctor the the new doctrine of the day to be to take a stand on so that you can be the biggest something you know if you just add a a new adjective to your name you could be the biggest church anywhere just add an adjective Mm. yeah we're the biggest church in town that does it my way okay (laughs) (laughs) i have one last question for you kurt and i don't know we may we may continue on after this, but sure. my question is, what would you say to the next generation who's coming up? You know, we're, we call ourselves the Young Baptist Podcast. We are really trying to speak to our generation because our generation is coming into leadership. We're beginning to fill the pulpits in different churches and, and stepping into these different leadership roles. How would you admonish us going forward to have this, this kind of, this kind of an attitude of we are autonomous. Yes, but we are here to help our brothers out and to, to how would you admonish us to avoid becoming islands unto ourselves moving forward? Well, the first thing I would say to you is let no man despise your youth. Um, the, so much of what you guys are prioritizing and championing on your podcast are needed and don't let just because somebody is older doesn't mean that they're more right. Um, 
So uh, don't be gospel centered, be word of God centered, but don't allow other people to, to steal those priorities that you know God has implanted in your heart. Jesus invested in essentially 12 men. If the rabbi were older than his followers, which was typically the case, then what you have is you have a group of 20-somethings whom God used to change the world in mm-hmm. Acts chapters 1 and 2. So to me, age is inconsequential. Don't be a novice. Don't, 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 uh, don't be cavalier with the truth. You know, be, be, be deep, study hard, love God with all your heart, but don't allow age to be detrimental. Age is not detrimental. And I I wish I were 28. I wish I were 28. I'd, I'd love to have another go at this thing. So you have, you have a gift. You have the gift of age and energy and youth and future. And so what I would say is hold, hold, hold on to the gospel, stay committed to the word of God. You'll not go wrong. And man, just charge forward. Uh, I'm on the sidelines cheering as, as best I can. I can't run as fast as I used to, but I'm cheering you guys on. I, I think the future is the future of the gospel is in good hands. I love I love the priorities that you guys embraced. I love the innovative ways by which you're employing technology and getting the gospel to spaces that it's never been. So my bottom line advice would be stay encouraged. Mm-hmm. Let the naysayers be the naysayers. St- stay prioritized. Keep on looking out the windshield and let God use you in a great way. Man, thank you so much for that, Kurt. And I know yeah, that's- to our listeners as well, thank you so much um, for that. I think that's a great way to end it. Josh, that is Duncan-infused wisdom oh right goodness. there. <laughs> <laughs> I had to hey, come ready, back to that hey, one guys, last you ready, time. Goodness. You ready for this? Look at it. <laughs> there it is. He come is on. showing us on the screen a Duncan, Duncan cover right now. I am representing. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's have a quick word of prayer for Pastor Skelly as uh, he has already strayed away from the truth of the gospel. <laughs> One last thing that we're asking each of our uh, guests when they come on the podcast is what are you, do you recommend that we read? Maybe it's something you're just reading right now that's really made an impact on you, or maybe it's a favorite book of yours or, or just, you have maybe two or three recommendations for our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. From the standpoint of biographies, I think that everybody ought to read, and you may have read this already, but Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. Uh, if you've not read that book, it'll rock your world. Um, it was written by his son, Howard Taylor, but it's Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. Um, wh- when it comes to a book on, if you want a thinking book that really understand Christianity in a broader perspective in our generation, I would recommend you read the book Renaissance by Oz Guinness, uh, where he makes the case that Western Christianity is probably Eastern Christianity's greatest enemy. <laughs> it's really mm. a thought-provoking book. Uh, and then uh, a book I read recently is, uh, I'm, I forget the exact title, but it's in, Interpreting Scripture Through Western Eyes. It's a good book just to help you hermeneutically. 
A really good book if you are on a church staff is a book called The Advantage by Patrick Lencioni. He also wrote one called The Motive. And that's a really, really good book uh, to, it's not a Christian book per se, but it's it's really a good book. So those would be some that just come to mind right away. Awesome. Thank you so much. We appreciate that. We'll post that on our bookshelf on our website so you guys can go and check that out at your convenience. Well, Kurt, we really appreciate you coming on the show. It's been a great time. Uh, it's been helpful and encouraging. Uh, if you don't mind, would you mind closing us in prayer before we before we sure, sign off? Sure, let, let, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this night and at the recording of this podcast, your grace in our lives. We don't know all that you'll do with the things about which we've spoken, but Lord, we give them to you. And insofar that we have touched on spiritual truths, I pray that you'd bless it and magnify it and use it. Lord, if we've said anything in selfishness or uh, we've misspoken in any way, I pray that those things would just fall to the ground. Most of all, we pray that Jesus Christ would be uplifted. We pray that the word of God would be furthered. And we pray that you would help us to just stay faithful as witnesses for Christ. Uh, bless these men. Bless their future episodes. Uh, bless each one of us as we endeavor to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Young Baptist Podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Young Baptist Pod. And check out our website at theyoungbaptistpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a review wherever you consume the content. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time on the Young Baptist Podcast. Podcast.